Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Welcome to another episode of The Jury is Out. I'm Eric Feith. I'm John Simon. We're back with Judge Jack Garvey, Colleen Garvey, Mary Simon, and of course, John Simon. Most of the stuff I've learned by screwing it up myself or watching somebody else do it that knew how to do it better than me. And I, I pull back, I try to resist telling everybody how to do everything. Just kind of, I'd rather just say, go do it and see what happens. You got to learn, you got to do it. The other thing too, nobody does it the same way. Everybody does it, has a different personality, different approach, different ideas about things. I got to sometimes fight the urge to say, no, you need to do this, or you need to do that. Help let everybody get out and try it. And that way, it's the best way of learning, I think, getting out and trying it. So true. And I think I've never laughed as hard as I have at a job than I do now. I think a big thing for us is our senses of humor and just keeping it light and bringing up something that my niece, his granddaughter did the other day, makes telling a story like that makes us laugh or just taking it outside of work for a second and then getting back into it. But it helps that we both have yeah. a good sense. I think all my kids have great sense of humor, my wife, and that's really, that goes a long way. Colleen has a great sense of humor and insight with that is really funny. We'll be a difficult opposing counsel, or can you believe that guy? Or just, or you know, it helps you survive too in what we do. Oh, you know, I mean, you yeah, gotta, you got to You can't take everything too seriously. Judge Mullen asked Colleen in court, "Do you like working with your dad? I can ask him to leave if you'd like." And Colleen burst <laughs> out like, "So, so funny." I get that question a lot. I'm sure you do too, Mary. Yeah, I actually don't mind it. I just know it's going to happen anytime. I was just talking to my dad about this the other day that. A lot of attorneys our age don't have the benefit of working on cases where you get to work with opposing lawyers who are just phenomenal defense attorneys. I, It is such a great opportunity to be six years out working against a lawyer who's a senior partner at a fantastic defense firm. You just learn so much. And inevitably, in every deposition or whether I'm at a court with another lawyer who's 20, 20, 30 years my senior, they always reference but your dad and I and the history between my dad. Hopefully and it's a good history. And, not, you know, okay. <laughs> it used to aggravate me. And then I went and told my dad, I was like, at what point are they not going to do that? And my dad said, you know, it could be a lot worse. They could really not like me. <laughs> it could be a lot worse, though. There are so many different ways this could go wrong working with a child. You have different personalities or the same personalities. Colleen and I get into it. We will cross paths on a case and we have to like talk it through and everything. Like I may have a different opinion and we always work it out. But I, li you know, I really listen to Colleen and what she has to say from her perspective. And it's part of the strategy. It's part of what right. I'm trying to do. And you, I agree on these defense attorneys. I, it, it was nothing better to watch when you're a judge than a resourceful attorney, especially when they were losing or when they were going to lose. It was just a work of art. And the same way in these opposing counsel, both co-counsel on plaintiff's side, that's the best thing I think that's happened to me, other than working with Colleen and getting off the bench, was the attorneys that I work with on these cases in the mass tort world. And you guys work in the same world. I've never seen a smarter, more resourceful group of people. And on the same way on the defense side, and they're a pain in the ass and can drive you nuts. But I tell you, it makes the job very interesting. And Colleen and I talk about it all the time. I think it definitely would be different if our dads didn't have great reputations in the legal community. Oh, yeah. It's made it, for me, so much easier. And I, for a while, 
getting that question like, oh, your dad's a lawyer, you're a lawyer now, you're going to go work with him. How's it working with him or for him? And I got annoyed at first, but in settling down, it's like, no, I need to lean into this because he, one, I appreciate how good of a reputation you have. And it's only good things that I hear. Of course, maybe people wouldn't be telling me all the bad things, but (laughs) I really honestly believe there aren't bad things to say about your reputation here in St. Louis and beyond. And I, I've gotten more used to leaning into that nepotism, maybe a little sure. bit more and taking it on and being really proud to be a Garvey in the St. Louis legal community. You know, I got a sense of that with Paul Simon, Judge Paul Simon. Oh yeah. My cousin. I loved him. And so he, he was a court of appeals judge and for quite a while. And so when I started, he was on the bench and I would introduce myself as a brand new lawyer and be in the city, the county, wherever, over in Illinois. And I, all the qu- first question I would get, are you related to Judge Simon? Paul Simon, I see he's my cousin and a big smile. I would just get a real welcome and judges would invite me back to their chambers and talk to me or have a cup of coffee or something. I knew my cousin, I, I liked him and knew he was very, but it just blew me away how well respected he was, but I benefited from that. He was amazing because you would think with this background, he came from this political background with the president of the Board of Aldermen. In fact, he's just a politician. That's how he got it under the nonpartisan court plan. But boy, when I was an associate judge and I was a judge, whenever I talked to him and he was a big help with me and trying to move up from associate to circuit, I never saw a guy break down a case better, either in his writings and his opinions, which I knew he was writing, and just he would talk to him. Yeah. Also, I've never met a, met a better politician than him. One yeah. time I was, I'm sorry, walking in the street one time with a judge, another judge, I was an associate judge and Paul was helping me out to move up the circuit bench. We saw each other over here by the Chinese restaurant right behind the Wainwright building. He goes, hey, I talked to that guy about that thing, and I think it's going to be okay, but you're going to have to do that other thing in order for him to get going on the thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that, that's exactly what he said. And I said, I got you. I, I said, I know what you're talking about. Okay, I'll get it on the call. He leaves. My, my, the other judge says, what the hell was he talking about? I said, don't worry about it. It's all, it's, You're like, I understood you know, it completely. But that's a true... You, judge, everything, the thing that I heard consistently, almost with everybody that knew him was, he helped me do this, he helped me yeah. do this, he was always helped everybody. He got me my first job. He got me with this. He connected me with this person. But, and uh, then when I was an associate, he reversed me on a divorce case, and we never talked about it. Yeah. And yeah. it just, it was just the job. And I should have been reversed. You always get reversed in the bench when you're in the... A judge division. I never got reversed on a jury trial decision or anything like that. Never had a mistrial or anything. But it's always when they got, they always got you when the, when you know, when you're in the divisions by yourself. I think it's interesting when you were talking about working with family and the personality, whether you're saying there's risk, especially with different personality types or the same. If you all haven't, we took the Myers Briggs tests and my dad and I both got INFJ. In the whole firm, we all took them, and it's me, my dad, and our office administrator are the same personality type. And most of the time where it makes me laugh is the things that my dad and I have in common, I hear through staff at this office. And my paralegal one time on the phone told me, oh, my God, Mary, because I called her and she went, we already, we went over this already, Mary. And she went, you and your dad repeat the same thing more than anyone I know. You just, you are the only other person who says the same three things in a row multiple times. Like, it's already written down. And I will make memos that are the same memo of something else that I remembered two days before. 
And so it's always funny when I'm reminded by the people I work with the similarities that I might not even be aware of. Working. All my bad and, habits. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> hilarious. And I also, when you talk about case issues, I think a lot of the times what happens with my dad and I, if there's ever something we're thinking about on a case and there's two different approaches to it, I find myself, I'll always on the phone, he'll say, can I tell you a story? And I'll just go, is it going to solve the problem that we're currently facing in the case? And I'll go, let me just tell you, if it's not going to answer, if it's not going to get an answer to the problem that I don't, then we don't need to talk about it right now. Because I'll always call him when I'm really, I'll step out of a deposition and say, oh, this is the way it's going. And I just, I, should I, do you think I should go this way after the break or not? And he's like, let me tell you a story. I'm like, no, man, I got five. That's <laughs> five for that story. But it'll be a teaching moment. And I'm like, just let's move through the teaching moment so I can just move on to the next thing. But it's, it. but it, those are the, those are the ways that I learn the most is through just past experiences. But in my head, I'm so eager to just know the information. I'll tell my dad, God, I just wish I knew all the things. That, at what point did you learn this? And he's, I don't remember when I learned it. I just know that generally under these circumstances, this is how the case will play out or this is how this issue can get resolved. But I think it's funny that we mostly, I wouldn't really even call it butting heads. I don't know that you would either. We just get in situations where I just want the answer and he's using impatience. it as a teaching moment. Yeah, and I wonder who I get the impatience I'm very from, right? Impatience is a virtue sometimes. Right. So it's just, it's interesting when those moments come up. Let me tell you a story. I'm like, is it 90 seconds or less? And it will it tell me what my next decision needs to be in the case. <laughs> so Mary, I was your professor at, in civil practice, and I was laughing when this was happening. I don't know if you noticed this, but you were an attorney deposing someone else, and you went right into rules of the road, Rick Friedman's techniques. Oh, yeah. You were roping up this witness like a cowboy <laughs> tying up a calf. And it was hilarious. And I thought, this is just like John was oh, that's and I learned from John. And I don't know if some of this is osmosis or what, but I bet it's outlines float around the office. <laughs> Talking to the dads, I assume you, you see these things that may not be explicit lessons. You said, make sure you do this and that, but it might just be that they pick up things, including your mannerisms and your tone of voice, maybe, or your the posture sometimes. I see. I think most parents see that in their kids as, as their kids get to be adults. But I was, I, I'm assuming this is a cool part of being a dad, watching your daughter, that you sometimes see things that were successful for you and that worked, worked later down. It is cool. I think Colleen has her own style, though. I don't think she'll say to me, did you really think that through before you said it? <laughs> Where, where did that come from, Dad? I said, I Golly. saw I saw a vulnerability there, and I went for it. I'll say, I said, look, I saw it. The judge was going this way, and I went for it. And she'll be like, okay, yeah, I see that. And I think that's the breakdown. I, that's where we differ. I'm more intuitive. I think I'm intuitive, and it always probably lands up on the wrong side. Colleen is more technical, more can see the bigger picture where I'll just go go for it on something, and then she'll bring me back and say, I don't know why we should have done that, or... Why did we do that again? Remind me again. So it works out. Another time I'll say, look, there's some time we got to go and we got to go. We got to be more aggressive on this. And they're waiting for this. So the judge does not want to know about this. He wants to know about this. This is why he's talking about this. Probably the biggest thing that I bring is like, I, I know what this judge is thinking. So. Yeah. I, I, the growing up, I always thought we were more similar 
Yeah. But then we started working together and we could not be more different. Yeah. And it's funny. And I think that's a benefit for us. And that could be why we get into it a little bit more, but we work through it and, and yeah. it's our process. Perfect balance. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And you're not breaking up. It's not like, a, oh, I'm out of here. I'm breaking <laughs> up this partnership. It's no, I can't disown you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Dad, what time's dinner again later? Right. <laughs> we got to stay with it. And it, it always works. Uh, you just get a different perspective. So have you guys tried a case together yet? No, not yet. We want to. We've talked about that. And I've said, look, we're, as a law firm, we have to try a case. Yeah. Because I knew you just can't. And we're, we have a couple that I think we'll probably end up trying. Yeah. Mary and I tried two together, two. And uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was much less, like you, the sense of humor, joking, making fun of things, making fun of, yeah. well, we do. It was, yeah. Or it's just funny when I... It's my dad, right? We're still with our dads. So it'll, there's a certain formality between everyone at this office is very close, but there's obviously a certain, a fine line of formality between colleagues. But he's my dad. So we go to the courthouse and I'll have snacks that I'll bring. And I like take out a bag of like food and I'll give him a handful of them to him and I'll eat and say, oh, thanks. And we'll eat. And other people at our office are looking at us and I'm thinking, it's my dad. Like, we can share a snack in the courtroom, but I don't, I only realize that it probably looks weird to other people when they're looking at me kind of, oh, did you bring your dad a snack? I'm like, I don't, he's my dad. If I have food, I'm going to offer him some of it. So you don't ever completely flip the switch between dad and fellow attorney. It's the same voice that told you to clean your room when you were seven. Right. He's talking to you now about a deposition. And it's, I think there's, deference there's a professional deference to him in in situations before the court and then there's also it and you'll have this too it's like I don't want any judge to think that my dad has to be the one to speak for me if I'm the one who's prepared a specific motion of course he can jump in and I want him to jump in if there's something to add but it's nice to have that balance of you don't want to go before the court and then get the first time you're asked a question, I don't want to go look back at my dad for the answer. I'd rather just go and say it and for better or for worse, be able to have an answer to tell the judge. But yeah, it's like a professional deference. But no, if I'm bringing food or if my mom has called me four times, I'll kick him under the table and say, can you go call mom? She, you got four of it. She wants to know where you are and I she's texting me. <laughs> yeah, he'll, yeah, he'll turn his phone off. And I'm like... Here's the phone. Go call her. Oh, man. Oh, yes, the daughters. What, did you feel pressure going to have high expectations that you, that other people might not feel going to the firm where your dad is in charge and has reputation for being successful? Did you feel any pressure? Or was it a good thing? Or I think it was a good thing. I Yeah, I wouldn't say pressure. I think Mary alluded to this earlier about how you want to, you want them to be proud of you. So showing up and being kind to others and professional. And a lot of that comes from, I want you, I want my dad to see how I am in a professional environment. And this is our, we've only worked together. And I guess we've been open for about a year now. He never saw that side of me. We always talked about our work, at least for the two years that I was at a different firm, I would talk to him all the time about it. But it's one thing to talk about it, another thing to actually see it in action. And but yeah, I think that's a part of it. I You say growing up as a seven-year-old to go clean your room. I remember my dad telling me, and all of us kids, really, 
you're smart, pretty, and tough. He would repeat that over and over again, and that's something that has stuck in our heads, especially in my head. And so I think I've always wanted to do right by you and continue to grow in my own way, but also grow in the Garvey reputation here in St. Louis. Beautiful. Let me take you back to when you were five. What did you think your dad did? Well, how did you think, what happened out there in the real world when through your five-year-old eyes? I don't even know if I can recall. <laughs> yeah, he has a better memory than I. 1999, that's when I just started as a judge. In 2000, I took Colleen and Sheila down in my courtroom, Division 24. It was a metal jury trial division. And they found out how the microphone, we tried the Al Sharpton case in that court. So I said, listen, you guys, I got to work on some orders. I was trying to make it up circuit judge. So I was taking equity cases. So I was writing opinions. You guys play out here. So I'm back. I had my whole desk up there on the bench. I had a gavel. I had my her evidence book and everything up there. I know where this is. I hear everything on the loudspeaker and they're running around and yelling in the microphone and all that stuff. So finally I come out like after just a half an hour and the courtroom is a mess. There's like papers all Jory's <laughs> not book and everything. Oh, this is amazing. And I finally say, Where's my gavel? And they're like, What? And these two, that's the thing about Colleen and Sheila. They worked, they were great co-conspirators and they could stick together and they would not come in on each other. You talk about cross-examination, you separated, nothing worked. And I was like, where's my gavel? What gavel? I'm like, I had a gavel out here. It was a present from your aunt, Uncle Dave and Aunt Mickey and never to this day found out what happened to that gavel. And I mean, that was always like the big joke in the family. So that was when they were five and a half, six years old when they came out into the courtroom. I just remember. Still now. Still don't know what happened to the gavel. Still don't know what happened to the gavel. I don't know. Yeah. I really, I don't know. <laughs> Hands, please, they can do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hands are up. I had a prison cell like, right down the hole. And I remember taking them down and just like opening the door, not because of the gavel, it was before the gavel. <laughs> and I just remember them standing there. Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So yeah, we take on the work, but it it wasn't as exciting as following did, trial, successful did, trial. Did you get your dad a new gavel at some point? No, but <laughs> Christmas. Birthday, yeah. Don't need it now. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I didn't really ever use it. And every courtroom I went to, they're like, where's your gavel? I'm like, I don't need it. I would just come out. <laughs> yeah, let's go. So that's a good story. I think we'll have to ask Sheila. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> that's how they work together. So did you, would you go... Would they go to the courthouse often and just sit in the gallery? Gosh, it would be so good. <laughs> See, I love that my dad's a trial lawyer, and I'm like, it'd be so cool if my dad was a judge and you just get to go to the courthouse. I don't think so. No, not after that. No, <laughs> they were banned. That's much that incident, but it was just they were at school. And I think it was like this was just dad's job. I think it was no. I was just grinding it out. They, Pictures were on the courthouse wall. Do not let in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember. The metal I remember what, Colleen, you were saying, you want your parents to be proud of you. You want your dad to be proud of you. And I had, I took trial ad in law school and my class was an odd number. And the judge who taught my class assigned me to try the case alone. And he's, look, I just think that you have access to all the help you need. So I'm not going <laughs> to give you the benefit of working with another student. You can do this on your own. And I went to my dad and I don't know when I 2L year or 3L year. And I went to my dad and said, oh, my gosh, the judge said I can handle the case by myself. OK, want me to tell you a little bit about the case? He was like, 
I think that you can figure it out. And there was no, uh, my dad said, well, you just do it. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? When's the final trial? He, yeah, he didn't come to the final trial and was like, but he told me, he's, listen, I know that you can do a good job, but for your benefit, you don't want me hanging out there and talking to you on breaks and stuff. Just go do it. And I did that. And I remember just being so proud of myself. The only other another distinct memory that I have of having that feeling of, yeah, like I, I think my dad thinks I know what I'm doing moment. Right. I got out of law school started practicing here, and I worked more directly for him after a year of working here, I want to say. And we it was the first case that we handled together, and it ended up getting resolved right before the pandemic, so good timing there. But the other side filed a big motion for summary judgment, and my dad just forwarded me the email and said, please handle. And so I respond to the motion for summary judgment, do all the case law, all the briefing, show him the final product, hand it to him, say, hey, you ready to review this? He just said, did you review all the rules? Did you follow all the rules? I went, yep. He said, is it ready to get filed? I went, uh-huh. You then just file it. And I was like, ooh, okay. So I filed it and we won on the pleadings and we didn't have to go argue it. And the judge cited some of my citations in my briefing. And it was such, I was elated. <laughs> I was elated to, I ran down to his office when I saw the case net filing come through I was like jumping up and down like she granted on the pleadings and he's okay that's really good news good job now go on go ahead and go to the next thing yeah what has he done for me lately yeah (laughs) exactly it it was one of those moments where I was like okay I think I'm getting more of the hang of this are able to do it and doing it in a way where you get affirmation or confirmation that you're headed down the right path I think is a good it's a good place to be in when you're working with your dad Mary, I worked around John for 10 years, and he came up with a number of sayings that many have stuck with me. One is, if you lose the case, you come back, you didn't win. It was like, good, okay, pack up that case and put it away. Now you get to work on something better. But I assume there's some sayings that have stuck with you, too. He's, he's got a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. I think one of the ones that he even touched on today was the the week before trial is not yours in terms of preparation. He just said the week before it's not yours. So you need to have all of your stuff done at least a week before trial. I can't, I, he can't emphasize, you just have to be like, the most like prepared. like work that goes into what we do. Oh. You know, it's just, it's, it's just trial lawyers are not yeah. normal people either. They're not. If you take a step back and you talk to your friends about the world you're in with trial lawyers, it's, they're mutants. The way, how hard they work, their personalities, probably substance abuse problems. You're talking about people that are alphas, men and women. And I think it's just fascinating in this trial work on both sides, plaintiff and defense. But it's rewarding. I don't think you could, I think it's one of the most rewarding aspects of practice of law. Now, everybody would argue that they're where they are is, but I just think that this trial work, it's fun. It is so fun. And and I love that you can just, even in preparation, which is the biggest emphasis, it's just you can make it whatever you want to make it because you can put in as much time as you want to, which is, right. It, it's just amazing. You can get exactly what you want when you put that much into it. Yeah. Colleen, did you, you worked at a defense firm for two years? I did. So yes. did you like filling out the timesheet and keeping track of your time? <laughs> We still kind of have to do that at our... We're, we're in a lot of common benefit cases, so we're still doing timesheets. Yeah. That was one thing I never got, never got fond of. <laughs> 
It was okay. Yeah, I think I tried to get used to it, get on a routine, that sort of thing, doing similar assignments. It was all assignment-based. That's one thing I liked. I did that for four, I did defense stuff for four and a half years, and I went to a plaintiff's firm. Uh, man, I, and you work twice as long without, even though you're not filling out. Right. Yeah, because you're not, you're not keeping track of the time. You just dig in. Because we'd have cases with the, where we, we somebody's paying us hourly, defense client, and you had to get permission to do stuff. And I'm like, if you wanted to look at something or explore this and you either did it on your own and didn't bill them or and didn't do it. I love doing the plaintiff stuff. I, my background, I come from a blue collar family and the satisfaction wise, I just didn't thrill me to. And that's not automatic. I know a lot judges and lawyers that came from a blue collar family yeah. said, don't yeah. think like that. So I just, it was to me, I just wanted to be on the right side of the case. Now on our side, you know, on the plaintiff side, if you're not on the right side of the case, you don't take the case. I'll say this one last story, which is very funny about having just the mindset of a trial lawyer. It's just like a weird, specific breed of a person who wants to do this work. And during the pandemic, my dad and I spent a ton of time together. My daughter wasn't born yet. I was just at my parents' house almost every day, and which I'm sure you you just loved it, I'm sure. I did. <laughs> so we went through my dad's old like keepsake box. He went to St. Mary's High School, and we just went through his keepsakes. And there was, believe it or not, a, a creative writing piece that he had to do in grade school. This was from grade school. And I'm looking through it, and it's my dad's hand, little handwriting when he is, uh, I don't know, 12 years old or something. And he wrote his creative writing piece about going to a dinner party and all the utensils, the forks and spoons, came alive and injured the guests <laughs> at the dinner party. Yeah, I know you didn't remember this. And the whole piece was about how the company who made the spoons and forks were refusing to pay for the injuries to the guests. So this is like Beauty and the Beast yeah. and Corporate Inc. Yes, that's right. You know, and consolidated. I, and I was like, what the in the hell? Yeah. And showed it to my dad. It was like, product liability. Looks like I wanted to do product. this work. Then you sounds like a problem with the other law. But it really is. I just, I think that there's, it's such a rewarding profession. It's, there's something new every day. And the fact that we get to do this with our family and with our dads, Colleen, is amazing. And I, I think one of the biggest things that I'm now looking forward to from this conversation is I think I want to try a case with Colleen and you two can be invited. There we go. That sounds great. There we go. Uh, yeah. That'll happen. That'll happen. That's all right. That's good. I think that's the plaintiff. I think I see a lot of firms working together. Yeah. I think that's the St. Louis thing. I, they do it down in Texas a lot. I think we should do it up here. Yeah. Sounds great. Colleen, if I could go back and ask you one more thing about the decision to become a lawyer. You're very quiet about it until that backseat announcement, but it, what, how did that happen? How did it become... Was it brewing the entire time, or was it a spontaneous decision? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think a lot of it was I wanted to explore a different area than what I was hearing from my dad and throughout my childhood. I, I thought I was too similar to my dad as well growing up. I think we definitely had our fights, and, and I, I didn't want to do what he did. I, I was think I was fighting it, and then I stopped fighting it and realized that I am good at this and this is what brings me joy and it's exciting and I like being a plaintiff's trial attorney. Very few boring days. Right. That's yeah. right. And yeah. and I grew up. Yeah. I have one more question for the two daughters. If somebody approached you, some a, a young attorney, maybe a, someone about to graduate from law school, and said, I have a chance to work with my father or my mother. What are your thoughts about whether I should work with my parent? What kind of 
advice would you give? I think I'd have to ask them how often they talk. How often do you talk to your parent? I think that's very indicative of the type of relationship you have with them. And in an atmosphere like this, you are in communication regularly about cases and about the work. And you got to be on the same team. So I would first ask the person, how often are you talking to your parent? Do you guys get along? Because you have to be on the same team. At the end of the day, you got to be on the same team. Uh, that would be the biggest indicator to me. And then if you have that relationship, I'd say that there's nothing that you'll ever do that's more rewarding than that. Maybe being a parent, I do love my daughter, but it's it'll be the most rewarding experience to at least try it. That reminds me of one, another one of John's platitudes. It's all about relationships. Yep. And uh, if you don't have it, it's like you're asking for trouble. Yeah. To work in close quarters. Yeah. Colin, what would you be your thoughts about what advice, if any, you can give to somebody? Yes, that question. I think Mary's right about the communication part, but also doing activities together. Like I, at least growing up, and now my dad and I play a lot of golf, and that's something that we have. We have four or five hours walking eighteen holes with somebody. You just talk, and having it's a, similar to conversations, but just being able to do something and get along with the person or with your parent that you're doing it with and enjoying that time, I think is really important as well. Maybe it's this, if you can't take a long road trip with them, maybe think twice oh. before you sign the employment agreement. <laughs> I was my dad's co-pilot for many years. Uh, yeah. 16 hour car rides to the East Coast, seeing his side Michael. of the family. That's right? right. And look at you now. Listening to Bruce Springsteen over, That's right. over and over again. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Maybe for a close, let me ask the dads, uh, any concluding thoughts about this conversation? You know what? I just love having my daughter working with me. I love working with my daughter. I really do. I think we're very lucky. Uh, I don't know how I got here. Don't deserve any of it, but I'm going to enjoy it and hopefully finish my career with me and Colleen. I don't know how she's going to like it, but I think if we keep our sense of humor and our wits about us, I think we can do very well and have fun doing it. So... Thanks for having us. Awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Right. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Beeth. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. At The Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning. <laughs>